Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you this afternoon with a special guest. Her name is Barbara Kazam. She's a trainer on the patient experience, communication, and leadership for healthcare organizations. She's an accredited speaker with Toastmasters International and has spoken to more than 75,000 people in 12 different countries on leadership, customer service, motivation, and communication. And she's also an author and has co-authored a book with personal development experts like Jack Canfield, Brian Tracy, and Les Brown. Today, we'll be chatting about how to connect with challenging patients. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Barbara. Hey, Jennifer, how are you? Great. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. How's it going on this Friday afternoon? It is fantastic. I am in sunny San Diego, and that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) I'm a little jealous, although it is sunny here in Windsor, Ontario, but it's a little chilly. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. I know California can be a little chilly during this time as well. From I know. I think it might get down to like 60 two maybe okay yeah. well that's that's like summer here almost <laughs> at this time <laughs> well thank you for joining me today and having this conversation with me about connecting with challenging patients in the healthcare system in such a way that providers can do so without compromising our own well-being as much as possible so yes i'm excited about this conversation i've told a few people about it already and they're like oh this will be so cool to listen to. <laughs> and I love your energy. I love your wit. And I love, yeah, I love, okay. your, yeah, <laughs> I love your quick wittedness. Like I love all of that. I've listened to some of your podcasts and um, oh, great. videos. Yeah. Yeah. So, we'll dive in. <laughs> so Barbara, so I understand, do you refer to yourself as a customer service investigator? 
Is that, yes. Am I getting that right? Okay. That's right. CSI, CSI, baby. <laughs> and I love it. When I think of investigator, I feel like it's almost a negative thing. Like that was the first <laughs> thing I thought of. I'm like, how does that transpire into training healthcare organizations on interpersonal communication and leadership? So I was really intrigued to learn more about your story and more about yourself. Yes. Where would you like me to start? Oh, oh. <laughs> take us as far back as you'd like, <laughs> whatever you feel. Okay. Well, so my angle with the whole patient experience is from the patient perspective, because I am not a provider. I don't have a medical degree, mm-hmm. but my mother has been in and out of the hospital my entire life. Although my specialty is customer service, I quickly became interested in the patient experience because of our experiences with my mother. So that's kind of how I got into this. And the investigator part comes about because I'm a professional mystery patient. Oh. Taking my clothes off for a lot of people. Yeah. So I analyze the entire experience of the patient from the moment they go onto the website to the moment they call, they drive into the parking lot, they go through the visit, through the follow-up, I can analyze the entire experience. And it's interesting to get an inside look at a practice. Wow. That's really yeah. fascinating. But that is the patient experience, right? That's what that's we would right. define that as, is those touch points from the beginning to, that's right. I don't know if there ever is an end or maybe the transition or whatnot mm-hmm. of a yeah. person's health status. Ah, right. very yeah. cool. So do you contract with organizations then? Yes, I can work with one doctor office or I can work with organizations like Kaiser Permanente. I also work with health plans that have hundreds of providers in their network. So there's a lot of different ways that I work with people. Really cool. So Kaiser is an insurance provider, right? Mm Because I'm from Canada. so, So we don't really have, it's a little different when it comes to that model especially yeah. in Ontario, Canada here, because we have universal health care here. Oh, that's right. You're right. Good. It's government that's funded. good. Yeah. And there is oh. private insurance as well for medications and allied health services and things like that. But if somebody goes to the hospital, for example, or to the doctor, it's usually covered under the government funding for everyone. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to move to Canada. <laughs> Honestly, it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I mean, we have our challenges, but Holy I can't miracle. imagine it any other way, to be honest. Yeah. So we're very lucky. You are lucky. Ugh. And how long have you been doing this? Well, I've been speaking since, oh gosh, probably before you were born, but I've specialized <laughs> in healthcare since January of 2010. Okay. That's nice. what I really honed in, in on the healthcare market. So did you hone in because of your personal connection, like your mom's connection to the healthcare system. Kind of, that was part of it. But then also before 2010, I was working as a seminar leader for a seminar company here in the States. Mm. I got sick of working for them. I was 10 years and I was all over the place and travel, travel and blah, blah, blah. So in January, I quit, went out on my own. The first month I went to a, it was a free not a webinar, that's today. It was a free presentation on how to work constant. Are you familiar with constant contact? Yes, that's the yeah, yeah. marketing, email marketing. Yeah, yeah, email yeah. marketing. So there was a presentation on how to operate constant contact. So I went to the presentation. The presenter said in the first couple minutes, meet three people you don't know. And I was like, Ugh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. So I turned around 
I hand her my business card to the lady behind me and she goes, oh my gosh, we're looking to hire a customer service speaker and trainer. And she worked at a healthcare consulting company. Oh, okay. So that's how I got introduced into the healthcare arena. And I fell in love with it immediately. It just made perfect sense. I was going to say, and you never left then. So that's awesome. So it's only hopefully grown from there. Yeah. Great. So today we're talking a little bit about connecting with challenging patients, which I think is inevitable in healthcare, Mm -hmm. right? And in all walks of life, really. So in your opinion, what would you say defines or in your experience defines a challenging patient encounter or situation? Well, I think it's when a patient is angry or Mm -hmm. when they don't do what we ask, they don't follow the treatment plan, they don't pay their bills. All of those constitute challenging patients. And lately, it seems like there's been quite a few of them arising or so I've heard, because this has been a quite a popular topic lately. Oh, and that's what you were telling me earlier. So is that, would you say currently that's the biggest problem for medical practices right now? You consult dealing with challenging patients. Well, it's one of them for sure. The number one patient complaint, statistically speaking, is wait times, waiting to get an appointment, waiting in reception, waiting in exam rooms, waiting for follow-up calls. But guess what? It's not waiting. It's not knowing about the wait. So if okay. we simply communicate better about the wait times, if we could get, be proactive, if we could communicate clearly, not say, I'll call you later. No. What is later? Five minutes or five days? That's unclear. I said, I will call you no later than five o'clock Eastern Standard Time. In fact, if you don't hear anything today, call Monday, we open at eight, ask for me. That's clear communication. I love that. You know what I love about that is there's that follow up there. Yes. And one of the things that I speak loudly about (laughs) is how much patients value, and I know I did as a caregiver, that follow up, like you said, knowing when, why, just to know what's next and what the next That's steps correct. are. Yeah. And to be clear on that. And I think it's very common and just casual conversation when you're having with a patient, maybe sometimes, or even by phone, if you're scheduling that you could just say, okay, and just end the conversation at have a great day, or I'll talk with you soon or whatever, mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. even thinking about whether you fully inform them or not. That's correct. Wow. I love yeah. that. What I teach, which is the truth is that the number mm-hmm. one reason for all complaints. Number one reason for all complaints is an unmet expectation. So if we could simply be clear on what's going to happen next, who's doing what, who do you call when what happens? If we simply were clear on the expectation, we could get rid of a lot of complaints. I'll give you an example. Yeah. So one of my clients was telling me they were having all sorts of complaints about the visitor policy. They had a policy, especially during COVID, where no visitors are allowed. So I said to them, at what point are you informing your patients of the policy? Because it can't be when they're walking in the door. Exactly. They said, oh, well, there's a note on the website. I'm like, all right. So I went onto the website. So on the website, and this is one of the touch points I want people to think about. So on the website, there was a little paragraph for COVID news, click here. So I clicked there. The visitor policy thing was about three pages down. Okay. Well, who's going to sit and read all of this stuff? I mean, if the visitor policy is that important, put it on the front page, the home page. Right. Call them and tell them ahead of time. Text them just to let you know, here's our visitor policy. 
Exactly. You know, but if you can't tell them when they're walking in, oh, no visitors, that will cause complaints. Exactly. And to me, I even call that a little bit of like an unnecessary conflict. Yes, absolutely. Totally preventable, but sometimes inevitable in a way. But it's it's definitely these little things that become a greater web of conflict. And then I just find, like you said, emotions get going, right? People get angry. Mm -hmm. And then I think ultimately too, you end up compromising trust at the end of the day, maybe is, I don't know if that's possible, but that's kind of how the chain seems to work. Right. You kind of have to work extra hard to regain that moving Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So what do you think then, like in a one-to-one interaction, like I'm a physiotherapist, for example, I work on an inpatient rehab unit. So I see several patients a day and I spend about half an hour to an hour with each of them. What Mm -hmm. would you say from your experience? And maybe not if you don't have as much with hospital, that's fine. But with respect to -to one-to-one interactions, interpersonal interactions, do you find that anything is missing from that alliance that could cause communication errors or issues to come up as well? Well, I think just not being present. I've noticed in a hospital setting and in the outpatient is we're busy, you know, and that's, so that we're in and we're out. Okay, what, you want a pill? Okay, here, here's your pill. We get in, we get out. But what do patients want? They want a connection. Mm-hmm. They want someone to say, oh my God, you know, I'm here. I've got five minutes. You know, I only have five minutes with you. I'm here. I'm going to take great care of you. Let's talk about what your issue is. Like, yeah. that doesn't take very long. In fact, I'm sure you've heard of the book, Compassionomics. Yes, yes, love it. Oh, yeah. I'm good. Yes, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all based on data on how these small, compassionate conversations heal. They're good for the caregiver. They're good for the healer. I mean, it's good for everybody. So I think it's just not being present. It's like treating people as a number, not as a human. I can't agree with you more. Yet it's so challenging. And I know based off Compassionomics, because I've heard them speak I can't remember his name, Dr. Treziak, maybe. I can't remember yeah. mm-hmm. one of the authors, but I've heard him speak in a few TED Talks. And he gave an example of what you're talking about too during a dialogue. And he basically said it only takes 40 seconds to show compassion and empathy. And mm-hmm. if we can lead with that, which makes total sense, then the rest kind of will fall into place a little easier. And I think sometimes depending too on where you are in your practice. And I don't know if you've noticed this too, you can speak to it, but if you're an entry-level practitioner versus a more seasoned one, for my experience with students, sometimes they're so worried about knowing the answers and knowing the competency part of things that they forget to connect. They forget to have to earn that trust in the first place. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Now, do you think, I mean, I don't know if this is a black and white answer, but do you think this is more of like a one-to-one issue, like patient provider? Do you think it's more organizational? Do you think it's even more systemic potentially of the healthcare system as you know it? That's a good question. So I've been working with quite a few medical plans, like healthcare plans. It's interesting because some of them are very strict with the providers and they will put them through provider training on this very topic. Because you know, there's survey. I don't know. You guys have surveys up there, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because all the providers get surveys and then they unblind them and they compare them to everybody else. But if they've got low scoring providers in this communication area, 
they put them through strict training and they tell them they got to get on board or they're out of there. Some health plans don't own the providers. They're independent and therefore it's harder. So if they don't buy into this principle, they're never going to do it. They'll never do the training. Yeah. They'll never do the training. They'll never show compassion. They'll just continue with their old ways because they don't care. Those are the ones, by the way, that are struggling to keep their patients. Because you know, patients have choices, right? Nowadays, more than ever. Why do they choose your practice over others is, well, because how we make them feel, right? But now there's lots of choices. I've got to say, because of the states and the difference between here and there, although I think the principles are totally the same, patients always have a choice for sure. I don't really think that patients realize that they have a choice. And I've had to make patients aware of that in many instances. I've referred patients to other providers that I thought were better suited than I was. Mm -hmm. That's not as common, I think, but it's something I'm becoming more comfortable with and that Mm -hmm. like taking myself out of that patient experience equation and not making it so much about my own ego. And it's challenging, but I do remind patients, even in their everyday decision-making as much as possible about their care plans, that they have a choice as well, and that they're part of it. And you'd be surprised. Some patients can be very institutionalized, especially in a hospital setting. And it's sometimes a hard thing to help them be liberated from in a way. Right. Really cool. So tell us more about your patient experience course. I saw that on your website. Yeah. So normally I do in-person presentations and it'll be like for staff, MAs, et cetera. But then inevitably, inevitably, when I'm done, the office manager will say, shoot, the two people that should have been here aren't here. What do we do? And I'm like, ah, ha, ha, ha. So that's why I created my online course. So basically it's just seven modules all about the patient experience. So for example, there's one module on telephone etiquette, which is huge nowadays, by the way. There's one on empathy, one on how to deal with difficult patients, one on managing emotions. There's one on just basic customer service from start to finish. So they're just short modules. Eight minutes is the shortest, 28 minutes. They come with quizzes, but it's a good tool that you could have as a team meeting. It's really a follow-up to my main presentation. So it's just to help reinforce all the principles so we can keep it up. Yeah. I saw that you had licensing there. So does that mean like up to 10 people in an organization could have access to it? Is that what that means? Okay. So so up to 10 people can watch it as much as they want for a year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a year membership. Right. Exactly. Really cool. That's great. I feel like it would be just an added teaching, right? That somebody could refer back to or just brush up on. Because, you know, you go to a seminar or you go to attend a webinar and then you learn the thing, but then what Monday comes along and we forget it, but this is meant so you can remind it. You can talk about like patient experience and customer service is about top of mind awareness. Like, oh, okay. I'm wearing my name badge. Okay. Did I use the patient's name? Okay. We're smiling Mm -hmm. under our mask. Great. Okay. Are we having a personal connection? So it's a constant communication. So that's why I designed it so that it can be a nice reminder for everybody to keep being consistently good. Right. And I really think reflection is so big in order to improve communication, kind Mm -hmm. of like what you were saying about certain providers that don't invest in the training at all with respect to their time. To me, perhaps those providers may not reflect enough or be open to that because I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the most powerful ways. And I think by having an online course, it gives you an opportunity to constantly expand your awareness and your reflection. So that's great. So that's obviously on your website. Yes. So people can check that out. 
And could you talk to me a little bit about, I know you focus on the patient experience, but can you talk to me about whether or not your communication training has had an impact on healthcare provider, like stress management or well-being in any way? That is a great question. I do not know the answer to that, but I'm going to find out. Gosh, darn it. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is a research question I've been thinking about lately. So I'm kind of glad yeah. that you don't have the answer because then it makes you realize that it's something that we do need to look at because I do think that the two are linked for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can't That's see how they wouldn't be. Great question. <laughs> I have other data of other things, but not that one in particular. That's a good one. Good question, okay. Jennifer. <laughs> okay, well, we'll put that on the shelf <laughs> for another time. Barbara, can you give me any examples of how healthcare providers, because you know, you're going to get people saying, I don't have enough time, right? I don't have enough staffing. Right. I don't have enough resources. Yeah. How could we still provide high quality care, which we all want to provide without feeling like we're just running on fumes? Well, I think the first thing I would do is analyze the patient journey. So just have someone in the practice, get in the patient's shoes and see where are the sticking points. Is it like, how is it when they call? How does the person sound when they answer the phone? Maybe I just need to change that. Maybe they go, mmm, 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 can I help you? Well, that's kind of scary. Right. Let's fix that. Guess the first impression. Or maybe, for example, I went to a doctor's office and the process was you text in your car when you arrive. So I did, but I didn't get a reply oh. for five minutes. So I'm sitting there freaking out, right? I'm like, oh my yeah. God, did they get it? Are they going to charge me? Are they going to mark me as late? That's right. five minutes of anxiety. That's a bad touch point. So what could they do? Have a policy. Okay, as soon as someone texts when they arrive, is respond right away and say, we received your text, Barbara. We're glad you're here. We'll text you when we want you to come up. Oh, okay. Because you don't know what to fix if right. you don't know where the issues are. Right. Or another thing I would do is interview some patients and go, hey, how has your experience been with us? Are there any snafus, anything we can improve? Because if you're not asking, if you're not getting the feedback, you can't just make this stuff up. You want to find out the specifics. That's what I would do. Yeah. And having that open dialogue and yeah. being open to feedback. And I do get the impression, even just from my interaction sometimes with patients, that that might not always, that that's just not asked of them. Right. right? Exactly. And I know I don't do that on a one-to-one. -one. I don't ask what they think or how they think things are going with respect to our alliance. But mm -hmm. and maybe that's because I'm in a hospital setting, but that might right. be something I will be a little bit more mindful of actually is like asking, how do you think things are going here? Is there anything I can do better and help you improve yeah. your stay or? Absolutely. Okay. Very cool. And just overall, could you comment a little bit on how communication training might have an impact or has an impact on saving healthcare dollars at all? Do well, all I, I'm that? just going to say one word, compassionomics, because it's all <laughs> Is it in there as well? Oh my gosh, because they're talking all about compassionate communication. Okay, I'll give you an example from the book. How about that? Okay, perfect. Okay, it's about a hospital. Yeah, you'll like that. So you may recall the story, but there was a patient going into surgery. Okay. Before he went into surgery, the anesthesiology went into his room and had some kind of conversation like, hey, just wanted to let you know I'm going to be with you the whole way. You know, there's nothing to worry about. Things are going to go great, blah, blah, blah. So all this great positive stuff. The patient then, when he goes into the emergency room, he has lower anxiety. Because he has lower anxiety, he requires less anesthesia. Oh. 
right? So in the recovery, that means since he had less anesthesia, he was able to recover faster, go home sooner. But the anesthesiologist also, after the surgery, went in and said kind of the same thing. Everything went great. You are a rock star in there. You're going to heal up in no time. So the hospital saved money. The anesthesiologist felt good. Patient was out of there sooner. So that's an exact example of how you can save money. Okay. And resources. Yes. Awesome. I love that. And I love that because it's the big picture, right? Yes. It includes the patient as well. Mm-hmm. But and it starts there and then everything else kind of benefits. Right. I like And that. if our patients like and trust us, they follow the treatment plan. So yeah. if that means if they follow the treatment plan, they'll probably get well sooner and we won't see them back. Yeah. I Adherence mean, is huge too. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about telephone etiquette. Just quickly before we sign off, can you speak a little bit about virtual care? Have you had much experience in that? Actually, (laughs) one of my clients has just hired me to do virtual visit observations. Oh, okay. So what I do is I just sit and kind of watch, you know, what's happening. I'm in the background watching and listening. What I've noticed is, at least from my experience, first of all, patients love it because they don't have to travel anywhere. But what makes it again is the personal connection. A lot of patients feel on the virtual visits that the personal connection is there because it's just the two of them and there's the screen. So a lot of them are feeling pretty good about that. So we need to keep that up. Some providers just kind of go in and do the, okay, well, let's see, since last week, what did you do? Okay, good. All right. Well, you just keep that up. Goodbye. And there's none of the personal stuff. Right. So if that can be kept up, let the patient know you care. I mean, it's the same thing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? But patients are liking them. The ones that I've noticed a lot. That's of good to hear, actually, that yeah. patients are more in favor of it because some mm-hmm. we kind of hear mixed from providers, although I think providers are embracing it more. And I've mm-hmm. also heard too from just other providers that it actually is another way to challenge your communication in a good way. It only strengthens it in a way mm-hmm. because you don't have the nonverbal stuff as much, right? Right. And I love the fact that there's less barriers around too. Like you said, it's just through screen, but they're mm-hmm. not a busy mm-hmm. clinic or anything like that. It's right. a, little more, a little more one-to-one. Um, Although I have heard that for the provider, it's a documentation nightmare or something. There's more work on the computer because of the virtual visits. So I'm not sure about that. Have okay. you found that? I haven't heard that yet. I mean, a lot of us are doing EMRs as it is. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's added with that or they're just spending more time on the computer overall charting now, which might be exhausting for them too, but I'm not sure. Well, I think and maybe the billing pro- might be because well, sorry to interrupt you. What one provider told me was so she's working sometimes at home and doing virtual visits. So the problem is that she finishes a visit. She used to be able to just walk down the hall, hey Sarah, make sure you order the blah blah blahs. But now she's got it. Okay, now I have to write an email to Sarah and then I have to make sure Sarah gets the email. And then yeah. I that part takes a lot more time. The communication via yeah, electronically with patients. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Yeah, mm-hmm. team. that makes sense, especially mm-hmm. if you're working from home essentially and not right. in the clinic doing it. Yep. Interesting. So do you have mm-hmm. any inspiring words like healthcare providers right now that want to be compassionate? That's what they desire. Maybe feeling like they're falling short sometimes. Yeah, I would just say all it takes is being present. Be present. Each person each moment and you can do it. Even like someone's, oh my gosh, my stomach is killing me. And all of a provider has to say is, 
ouch, boom, that's it. You're just yeah. connected with them. So yeah. it's just being present, responding to what they're saying. My son had a soccer game. Wow, how did it go? Yes. Those little things and people are like, wow, they care. It could take way less than 40 seconds. Yes, exactly. And I love that. It's just relating and having commonalities. And, yeah. and that creates the strongest, highest connections. Yeah. I love that. You're amazing, Barbara. So tell me where people <laughs> you are. I could probably chat with you a lot longer, but yeah. I know we've got to sign off soon. So tell me, where can people connect with you? And if you use social media at all, where can they follow you? Well, my website is The Good Place. And I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram, all by my name. So my name is Barbara Kazam. Love it. And my last name is spelled K-H-O-Z-A-M. So barbarakazam.com. You can email me. You can connect with me on social media and all sorts of things. Wonderful. Well, it's been so nice having you. Thank, Thank you, you so Jennifer. Much for it was sharing fun. your knowledge and experience. It's been so fun. Love your yes. energy. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Take care. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward. And I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes. And you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jenniferGeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.